0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your word. What a precious gift, Lord, you've uh, you given to your people. You've spoken and you've spoken clearly, uh, Lord, and uh, in a final way, uh, you, you've given us absolute truth to own, to cling to, to uh, live by. So far, Father, we look to you and ask for uh, understanding. Grant illumination so that as we uh, Read Your Word and study it. Uh, we, we may uh, grasp the truth, truth of it and, and in such a way that our lives are changed by it so that we live it out. And may it all be for Your honor and glory. And I ask now that You would enable me to uh, speak the message You would have delivered here, enable all of us to hear what You are saying in Your Word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, Matthew chapter 4. Now, I want to first read the section that we read this morning. And uh, and like I say, if we have any, any questions, I want to deal with that. And then possibly uh, we'll move on to the next, next section of uh, Scripture here. We'll see how it goes. But first, let's start in verse 18. And I want to read 18 through 22. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Amen. But what I what I tried to do this morning is um, demonstrate that we have a responsibility as followers of Christ. It's it, it's a the call, follow me. It's a call to something, not just out of something. Certainly. Um, In the living illustration here, you know, they're called out of the boat or or out of fishing uh, for fish and into fishing for men. They're into doing the will of God. And likewise, we're called uh, out of the world. We're called out of darkness into the light, out of death into life and so forth. It's a call out of something and into something and... It it is not passive. Jesus says, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." He's saying, "You follow me. Um, I'm I'm going to make you into a a kingdom worker. You're gonna you're gonna do something. You're gonna participate in the kingdom of God, specifically fishing for men." And and so uh, I I gave a little bit of an introduction to that by showing this is what. Uh, Uh, John the Baptist, what Jesus were already doing, preaching repentance, repent for the kingdom of of heaven is is nigh. This is what the apostles wind up doing. He makes them fishers of men. And they wind up preaching the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. So what I try to demonstrate this morning is, number one, we have a responsibility as followers. We're called to do something. We're called to work. We're called to fish for men. That is, carry the same message that John the Baptizer and Jesus and the Apostles carried. Repent. Repent and believe the Gospel. Repent, for the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. We are called to call men to Christ. Or another way of saying it is, we are called to, and when I say men, I mean men and women, humanity. We're called called to call human beings to Christ, to follow Christ. We are called to point them to Jesus, somewhat like John, and say, Look, you know, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I tried to demonstrate secondly that they have a responsibility, or I could say we, you know, all humanity. Every human being has a responsibility to repent and believe the gospel. So why does Jesus call us to fish for men? Because they need to repent. Because they need to believe. So He sends us out with responsibility to preach, to proclaim the Gospel, because human beings are responsible, number one, they're responsible for their sin. They're guilty. I keep saying they, but I, I'm, all of us, <laughs> all human beings, including myself, um, we come into this world as sinners. We're guilty of our sin, so we're responsible for our sin. And number two, we are responsible to obey the command to repent and believe the gospel. I'm simply saying this, the the command, let's say it that way because that's what it is, it's a command, the command to repent... Is for all men. The Apostle Paul says it uh, this way in Acts 17: God commands all men everywhere to repent. Jesus in Matthew 28 says the gospel is to go to every creature. The command to repent uh, goes to all all men everywhere. Everybody is responsible to repent. So number one, we got a responsibility to preach the gospel to be fishers of men because they have the responsibility, as we did, uh, to repent. In other words, there's a catch out there. Not everybody's going to repent, but some are. There's a catch out there, so He's sending us out to fish for them. And in fishing for them, we we don't drop the bait. If I can just kind of play the metaphor out here. We don't drop the bait out discriminately. We don't, we don't cast the line just to the elect, to the chosen, because we don't know who they are. We throw it out there to all of them. And this, the saving part is God's business. I mean, we, we, we obey in commanding men to repent, and God saves whom He wills. All right. Um, but first of all, let me say this for two reasons. One, because I had a question along these lines. And the other reason is um, because I want to uh, again confirm where I stand on this, alright? Um, because there's always a tension here between you know the sovereignty of God, and specifically we're talking here about the sovereignty of God in salvation, and the responsibility of man. Um, I, I think that tension is even in this verse. I mean, why would Jesus, knowing that God is sovereign in salvation, and that He's not going to lose one. He says that uh, in, over in John. I'm not going to lose one out of all that the Father has given me, except for the son of perdition. He's talking about Judas. I'm going to raise them all up at the last day. So why would Jesus then send people out to preach indiscriminately to all? Why would He do that? See, there's, there's, a, there's a tension there between the sovereign, sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, God is sovereign in choosing people to salvation, but all men everywhere are responsible to believe they 're responsible for their sin, and they're responsible to believe the gospel so let me let me say i I mentioned um this morning that there are two errors that we could easily slide off into. Um, and, and, again, I'm going I'm, to I'm give you opportunity for questions in, in a moment, so if you need further explanation on this, let me know. But there, there are two errors we could easily slide off into here. One is uh, the, the Armenian view, and, and that is that uh, everybody is capable of choosing Christ and, you know, in other words, just, just deciding to be saved. That's that is a prevalent view in our day. I, I dare say. I, I mean, I think this is accurate. The majority of the uh, Protestant churches that you could have walked into today or tonight, that that would have probably been the, the you know where they were coming from. Uh, I don't care if it's Baptist or, or Pentecostal or, or uh, whatever. You know, Pres- even some Presbyterian churches. And all. imagine that. And and uh, but you know they have this idea that we have free will. And they they take it to an extreme. Now, I pointed out this morning, in in doing that, what they are doing is denying the depravity, the total depravity of man. And so they they use this kind of logic. Um, If God commands all men everywhere to repent, and we see it here again, you know, John the Baptist, repent, and Jesus says repent, and and then you get over, Jesus sends out the... uh, the uh, apostles, and they go out preaching repent, and then you get over into Acts, and they're still talking about repent, and Acts 2 and 3 and Acts 17, they're still saying repent, repent, and it doesn't matter if they're talking to Jews or Gentiles. And the logic is this on the Armenian side, if God commands all men everywhere to repent, then they must be, that is all men everywhere, everywhere must be able to do it. Because they reason they think that it would be unjust for God to command people to do something they cannot do, and so again, the logic is if God commands all men everywhere to repent, then they must be able to do it. Now, I say that's a wrong view that's one that's one error we could we could slide off. Into, I'll try to explain that further in a moment. But I think, I think the Scripture refutes that. I do believe in the total depravity of man. And I mentioned Romans 3 this morning. You can take time to read Romans 3, where Paul uh, uh, gives a quite lengthy quote from Psalm 14 on that very subject to show that we're all sinners and we're all helpless. There's none righteous. No, not one. There is none who do good. There is none who seek after God. I mean, you just couldn't hardly be any more clearer or any more uh, emphatic. So I I think the Scripture teaches the total depravity of man. Man cannot, in and of himself, just decide to choose Christ. I, I just decide, in and of myself, to be saved. That's not uh, that capability we, we don't possess because of our depravity um, Boy, I know these are tough uh, this is kind of a tough thing to keep you know uh, concise, but let me try to just say real quickly it's when I say that we're not able to repent in and of ourselves, what we're talking about there, what theologians for you know long before I came along have, have talked about, is a moral inability, not a formal inability. In other words, lost people have the same kind of mental capacity and you know reasoning capacity that you and I do. So so why can't they repent? Why couldn't I when I was lost? Because we have a moral inability. That is, we are so corrupt in our, at our, in our very nature, we are so corrupt that we will not repent. That's, that's the problem. The problem is not that somebody is you know, holding us back. The problem is not that something outside of us is stopping us from repenting and choosing Christ. The problem is inside us, indwelling sin. And so when the Scripture, like in Second Corinthians, when the Scripture talks about our inability to receive spiritual things, the inability of the natural man to receive spiritual things, I think that's what is in view there. It's a moral inability. So in other words, we will not, we refuse, we reject. That's, that's what we're talking about. But it is complete. I mean, no, nobody escapes from that on their own. We, we are that, uh, well, impotent due to sin as far as choosing good. So we cannot choose Christ in and of ourselves because we are corrupt, because of our corrupt Nature. I mentioned Jeremiah this morning. He says, the, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? And, uh, well, the answer is no one truly can. and Not even yourself. I mean, you, you can be deceived. I can be deceived. We are corrupt inwardly. So, we're totally depraved to the extent, and this is why I think the Arminian view is incorrect, we do not have the capacity to choose Christ. We do not have the ability, because of the moral corruption within us, because we're depraved as a result of the fall. And when we when we use the phrase total depravity, we don't mean we're as bad as we could be. We mean every facet of us is affected by the fall. So my mind, you know, my emotions, my body is affected by the fall. My will is affected by the Father. We're not there's no such thing as free will in the, well, in the sense that it's usually used. Our wills are enslaved to sin. Enslaved. So, you know, it's 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 kind of like telling somebody in a jail cell, you know, why don't you just come on out of there? <laughs> They're locked in, and that's where we were in our unregenerate state. Total depravity, which includes the will. Our wills were not free, we, our wills are governed by our own nature, which is corrupt. I love, uh, and again, I'm trying to be brief here, but I love Jonathan Edwards' um, definition of the will. It is simply the act of choosing. So when, when we talk about the will, someone's exercising their will, you know, that's, that's all we're talking about. Making a choice. Deciding to do something. And our decision-making ability... Is governed by our nature. There's no such thing as a you know, the, the, the wheel is not like some it's not just floating out there somewhere, totally uninfluenced by anything. <laughs> it's 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 part of us, it's part of our thinking. And it's subject to our nature. So we make decisions based on who we are and who we are outside of Christ is a rebel. By nature, we rebel against God. So when the gospel is proclaimed, what do we do? I mean, that's, that's, you know, something about God, the things of God. And we rebel against it. We don't, we don't run to it. We run from it. Now, the other error that I said we could easily slip off into is, uh, hyper Calvinism. And, uh, I mean I've heard the term for years it's it's something and and I've heard it uh defined I think rightly and and wrongly and um something I I think I'm becoming a little more uh aware of um because in other words what I'm saying is I'm I'm thinking finding out that it's a little more prevalent than I realized let me let me uh I mean there are misconceptions and there are, are what I think are right ones. Let me let me give you a few that I think are right. This is uh, Philip Johnson. Philip Johnson is uh, <clears throat> I can't even remember what his official position is, but he, he's he's on staff at John MacArthur's church um, in uh, out in California. If you if you're familiar with John MacArthur, Philip Johnson's been with him a long time, kind of kind of his right hand man type guy, I guess. Um, uh, the way that I found out about Philip Johnson, and one of the things I appreciate so much about him is he's the one who set up the Spurgeon.org website. And uh, I mean, there are just tons of resources there on Charles Spurgeon. It's a great website. In fact, he he actually owns, uh, I believe, uh, the rights to a, a lot of that stuff. But uh, somehow he managed to purchase. But at any rate, um, he he wrote an article. Uh, it's copyright in 1998, so he'd been thinking about this quite a while, he recognized the danger some time ago, um, on hyper-Calvinism. Now, he gives just five things here. Uh, A hyper-Calvinist is someone who, and then he gives five definitions here. Number one, hyper-Calvinist is someone who denies that the gospel call applies to all who hear. Now let me say quickly because I hadn't given any explanation here. You understand by uh, by hyper Calvinist we just mean someone who go takes Calvinism, the the belief that God is sovereign, but then carries it to an unhealthy extreme. Um, one example that always comes to my mind because I have a co-worker that's uh, involved with a Primitive Baptist church and and uh, you know they do this. That's why they don't do evangelism because they're they're Doctrinally, they're hyper Calvinists. They don't, they just, they, just they take a very passive approach. God will save whomever he wants to save. We don't have any part in that. So they don't evangelize. Um, anyway, back to Phil Johnson's definition here. A hyper a Calvinist is someone who either, number one, denies the gospel call applies to all who hear, number two, denies that faith is the duty of every sinner, what we've been talking about this morning. Repentance and faith is the duty of all people. Number three, a hyper-Calvinist is someone who denies that the gospel makes any offer of Christ salvation or mercy to the non-elect. That is, people whom God did not choose before the foundation of the world. So, they're saying, you know, there's no offer of Christ to the non-elect out there. Or, they deny that uh, the offer of divine mercy is, is, um, is free or universal. They deny that. Number four, hyper-Calvinist is someone who denies that there is such a thing as common grace. Uh, Some of them go to that extreme. You understand, he's not saying that all hyper-Calvinists believe all of these things. He's just saying these are all hyper-Calvinist tendencies. Some of them espouse some of them, and not all of them. Some of them espouse uh, different ones. Number five, a hyper-Calvinist is someone who either denies that God has any sort of love for the non-elect, so, there, there are five definitions there. Deny the gospel call applies to all who hear. Denies that faith is the duty of every sinner. Denies that the gospel makes any offer of Christ, um, salvation or mercy to the non-elect. Denies that there is such a thing as common grace. Denies that God has any sort of love for the non-elect. Now, those, uh, that's just a, a description of some hyper-Calvinistic tendencies. Now, let me let me deal with like what we were talking about this morning. Is it the duty of all people everywhere to repent and come to faith in Christ? Now, this is a subject that I've uh, um, got another article here I want to read a few quotes from. This one's by uh, A.W. Pink. Um, if you if you never read anything by A.W. Pink, I, I recommend it. He's is just a powerful uh, writer. I know some of the men went through a book in the uh, uh, Sunday school class, um, but he he had some great stuff out there. The Attributes of God, very good. He's got a book titled The Sovereignty of God. It's very good, but there are no holds barred. So keep that in mind if you read it. I don't usually give that one uh, to somebody unless I really know their uh, unless I really feel like they're <laughs> They're really looking for the truth because um, it's it, it's 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 strong, but it's good. So A. W. Pink was dealing with this type of error as well and wrote this article called "Duty Faith," with with his purpose is to show that it is indeed the duty of all men everywhere to believe. And it's interesting the way one way he starts out is by quoting, and I'm just going to give you a few of them here, not. He gives a long list, quoting uh, some of the Reformers and uh, the Puritans just to show that this is Calvinism, if you want to call it that. It would be better to call it uh, Bible theology. But but it's also a view that uh, the Reformers held to, including John Calvin. So here's John Calvin from his Institutes of the Christian Religion. Quote, the mercy of God is offered equally to those who believe and to those who believe not. Notice that word, offered. The mercy of God is offered equally to those who believe and those who believe not, so that those who are not divinely taught within are rendered inexcusable. Martin Luther, quote, The first part, then, of Christianity is the preaching of repentance and the knowledge of ourselves. A man, therefore, is made a Christian not by working, but by hearing. Wherefore, he that will exercise himself to righteousness must first exercise himself in hearing the gospel. Now, when he hath heard and received the gospel, let him give himself to God with a joyful heart, and afterwards let him exercise himself in those good works which are commanded in the law. So he says, uh, a man must first exercise himself in hearing the gospel. Let me skip down a little bit. Like I say, he gives a whole list of long quotes here. Um... John Owen, Puritan pastor, he says, "It is our duty to endeavor what is impossible by our own endeavors to attain." That's just one sentence. I'm going to tell you that's the way John Owen wrote. Uh, if you ever read anything by John Owen, and I do recommend it, but uh, be prepared. You know, it's like uh, uh, it's a workout. It is our duty to endeavor what is impossible by our own endeavors to attain. So sin has made it to avoid all sin, to perform perfect obedience to love with all the heart. He's saying it's our duty to do those things, and yet it's impossible. John Gill, uh, 17th century Baptist, uh, English, uh, English Baptist pastor, uh, who some think, uh, or is a uh, uh, hyper Calvinist, but um, anyway, at least not on this point. And even not, uh, and even not coming to Christ and believing in Him in this spiritual manner, when He is revealed in the external ministry of the Word as God's way of salvation, is criminal and blameworthy. That is not coming to Christ. He is saying is criminal and blameworthy, notwithstanding men's want of both will and power. So, he's saying even though they don't have the the will to come, which again I would emphasize, and they don't have the power to come, yet, he says, they are blameworthy for not coming because it's all men's duty to repent and believe the gospel. Now, here's A.W. Pink. We could add quotations from others, but the above are from well-known, representative, sound Calvinistic divines several of them high Calvinist. Yet, their holding firmly to the spiritual inability of the natural man, to unconditional election, particular redemption, and the effectual call of the Spirit, did not tie their hands in preaching the gospel freely, pressing upon their hearers their responsibility, and calling upon them to repent and believe. You hear what Pink is saying there? All these men believed in the absolute sovereignty of God. They believed in divine election. They believed in total depravity. They believed in the inability of the natural man. And they believed in particular redemption and unconditional election. That is, that God chose some to be saved unconditionally. They believed these things, and yet they did not let Those doctrines tie their hands when it came to preaching the Gospel freely. What did they do? Pressed upon their hearers their responsibility and called them to repent and believe. Because that's what we're commanded to do. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And you're going to go out and do what I did. You're going to do what John did. You're going to do what the apostles did. Command them to believe. Because it's their duty. Again, A.W. Pink. It is the bounden duty of God's servants to tell the unregenerate that the reason why they cannot repent evangelically is because their hearts are so wedded to their lust. You hear what he's saying? He's talking about moral inability. And he says it's our duty to tell them that the reason they cannot repent is because their hearts are so wedded to their lust that the reason why they cannot come to Christ is because their sins have fettered and chained them. That the reason why they hate the light is because they love darkness. But so far from this excusing them, it only adds to their guilt. That so far from rendering them objects of pity, it exposes them as doubly deserving of damnation. And I've and I got to mention this one because I just thought it was good. I just thought it was a great response. Um, and another English Baptist, um, Huntington, was his last name, was kind of is kind of credited uh, or blamed, whichever, as being the the father of hyper Calvinism. You know, he took it to the extreme. You know, we don't do any evangelism, and it's silly. And a, a lot of uh, I guess down to this day are kind of uh, following his writings and so forth. And so Pink addresses him specifically. Now, let me first quote. Um, Huntington, just just part of a quote here. He says you, he's talking about evangelism, he's talking about calling men to repentance. You might just as well go to the gates of the grave and tell the sleeping dust it is their duty to come forth as Lazarus did. He's saying he's saying that's how foolish it is to preach the gospel. That's how foolish it is to command. Sinners to repent. You might just as well go to the graveyard and command those in the graves to come forth like Lazarus did. How does Pink respond to that? Well, first of all, he says, what a confused jumble is that? (laughs) Then he goes on to say, the physical condition of those in the cemetery is vastly different from the moral state of the unregenerate still upon the earth. The farmer, that is those in the grave, physically dead, the farmer cannot sin, cannot reject Christ. The latter can and do. The farmer cannot read their Bibles or call upon God for mercy. The latter should. It is because the natural man possesses the same faculties of soul as does the regenerate. In other words, as the saved. It is because the natural, the natural man, the lost, the unsaved, the unregenerate, possesses the same faculties of soul as does the, the regenerate, that he is an accountable creature, responsible to use them for God instead of against Him. Pink's saying that's the very reason they're accountable for their sin. Because they have the same faculties of the soul that you and I have. So, let me again try to clarify my position real quick. If you're going to use the term Calvinist or or, uh, and I've you know, over the years, you know, I've, I've a lot of times tried to shy away from labels, but let's, let's just use them, okay, for clear understanding here. If you're going to use the term Calvinist, and what if what we mean by Calvinist and Calvinism is that God is absolutely sovereign, even when it comes to choosing who will be saved, then then put me down there. As I said this morning, I want to say like Jonathan Edwards. I I, I happily (laughs) proclaim the absolute sovereignty of God. And if you mean by Calvinism, the five points that are so often talked about, total depravity, that is that men are totally depraved, as we just discussed, to the point that they are morally incapable of coming to Christ, which is equivalent to saying they will not come, Total, total depravity, unconditional election. That is that God, before time, chose, like Ephesians 1 says, chose us in Christ, predetermined. And I know there, there are lots of ways of kind of uh, nuancing that to, to make it fit um, free will doctrine, but I'm telling you, it's like putting a square peg in a round hole. Predetermined means predetermined. It means it was determined. The word determined means determined, decided. In this case, decided by God. The word pre means before. It was before decided or before determined. Unconditional election means that God, somewhere back there in eternity, predetermined who He would save. And if we mean... Limited atonement, or I think a better phrase is often used as particular atonement, particular redemption, like Pink just used, meaning that Christ died for the elect, those whom God chose in eternity past. He came with a mission, a specific mission, to die for His people. That's Matthew one twenty-one. You shall call His name Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins. And John 10, Jesus said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, not the goats. The sheep, particular redemption, or you know the old standard way of saying it is limited atonement. And by the way, we don't have time to get into this, but everybody believes in limited atonement in some form. Okay, that's that's a topic for another time, but. They wouldn't admit to it, but they do. Everybody does. Unless you're a universalist. Uh, And you just think everybody's going to heaven. Um, And if we mean by Calvinism, irresistible grace, or again, a better phrase would be effectual calling. And we mentioned that a little bit this morning. That is that when God determines to save someone, He makes it happen. It's effective. When He calls someone by grace, that that communication of grace is effective. Jesus said, "...all that the Father has given Me will come to Me." In John 6. That's effective or irresistible grace. "...all that the Father has given Me will come to Me," Jesus said, and I won't lose one. I won't lose one except the son of perdition, so that the Scripture will be fulfilled. But I'm going to raise them up at the last day. And that's pretty solid. He's saying, "...they're going to come and I'm going to raise them up at the last day." He seemed pretty sure about that. And if we mean by Calvinism, the perseverance of the saints, or the pres- you could use the term preservation, the preservation of the saints, which again, I just stated in John 6, I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus is saying, every single one that the Father gave me in eternity past, I will raise up in eternity future. He's saying, I'm going to keep them. Peter said, we're kept by the power of God unto salvation, which will be revealed at the last day. Paul said to the Philippians, he that began a good work in you will continue it till the day of Jesus Christ. So if that's what we mean by Calvinism, and that's usually what we mean, that's where I stand. That's where I stand. I believe God is absolutely sovereign. I believe man is incapable because of indwelling sin. Man is incapable of coming to Christ. He's incapable of making that decision. He will not, which is exactly what we read this morning, isn't it? John 5. They will not come. Jesus said, you will not come to Me that you might have life. And yet, like Arthur Pink was saying, like the men that we quoted from there, that, that knowledge, and, and it's, it's, I think it's wonderful doctrine, because I think it's the Bible, but that knowledge cannot tie our hands and keep us from preaching the Gospel freely. Because Jesus says, Go. And preach to every creature. The means by which God has chosen to save those whom He has chosen to save is the preaching of the gospel, and He's commissioned us to do it. So it should not tie our hands. It should have just the opposite effect. I guarantee you. I've heard. I've heard people say. I don't know how Brother Carl does it. I don't know how he gets up and goes you know, to Romania and to Mexico and to Cuba. I know at least one thing that drives him. He knows that the Gospel is effective. That if he goes and preaches it, God's going to use it. Folks are going to get saved because Jesus said that's what's going to happen. All that the Father has given me will come to me. It's a guarantee. So it should not hinder evangelism. What it ought to do is be a motivator for us. We can, we can go overseas or wherever, and we can go out the front door and next door, down the street, with the assurance that some are going to be saved because that's what God is determined to do. So do I believe in free will? No. Sinners are in bondage to sin. The only hope a sinner, an unregenerate person has, a sinner has, is divine intervention. For God to set them free from sin. Regeneration. Makes them alive, like Ephesians 2 says, or John 3. Born again. The wind blows. Well, that's a statement of sovereignty, isn't it? Jesus says, the wind blows, you don't know where it's come from where it's going. It goes where it wills. And He said, that's the way it is. Somebody's born again. You don't know what the Spirit's doing, the Holy Spirit. He does what He wills. That's sovereignty. So, yes, God decides who will be saved. And yes, our responsibility is to repent and believe the Gospel. It's a responsibility of every human being. So what do I say to sinners? What do we say to sinners? Repent and believe the Gospel. Repent and believe the Gospel. Believe on Christ. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana.